South Dakotans have relied on the horse for hundreds of years to work the land, compete for the ultimate prize, and enjoy the view of the rolling hills and prairie lands from on top of the South Dakota horse. We celebrate equine power, grace, and beauty, and the South Dakotans who take the reins. This is the South Dakota Horse Podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Justin Ehrman, and I am your host for the South Dakota Horse Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the show. In episode nine, I visit with South Dakotan Cheryl Schutte about a couple of interesting topics. We talk about her experiences with horse racing, and then we discuss her recent participation in an agritourism workshop sponsored by the SDSU Extension Office. With the current stresses of the COVID-19 virus, this talk is timely as we try to get creative in our daily business operations and innovative in planning how to generate income during and after this time of social distancing. While this conversation was recorded before the virus outbreak here in the States, I think it provides some valuable information for moving forward. Okay, let's get right to it. Well, our guest here today is Cheryl Schutte. Uh, she, uh, I, I've asked her to come on the show to talk a little bit about a couple of things. First of all, uh, to talk a little bit about her recent experience with a an agritourism uh, workshop and tour. And then also she has some uh, experiences with horse racing. So I wanted to talk to her a little bit about that. So uh, Cheryl, thanks for being on our show today. Yes, you're welcome. Great to be here. Well, let's... Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, let's let's talk a little bit first about you know you growing up. Uh, you grew up in South Dakota, and then I understand you moved away. Uh, was it f- to uh, work with horses uh, in the training horse racing uh, training aspect, or did you do something else first? Um, no, actually, when I um, I grew up on a cattle ranch in central South Dakota, and um, I actually. Uh, worked at the newspaper in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and somehow became involved in horse racing up there. And and I have always had a passion for horses, ranch horses, all kinds of horses, and um, I became involved, and I had an opportunity to go work with the race horses, and I followed my passion, and uh, um, discontinued my work at the newspaper. And I, in 1995, that was, I took off and I started in South Dakota. I've raced in Wyoming. I've raced in Nebraska. I've raced in Minnesota. And the horse racing just is was so sporadic out here. Everybody said you have to go. You have to go east into Kentucky and Ohio, and and that's why I ended up out in Ohio. Did you race on your own out there, or did you work with a, a particular uh, racing barn out there? Or um, I I actually did work for several racing barns, and that, but I always kept some horses of my own. Okay. But um, the last few years, I did basically just have my own horses, and I, I had ten of my own horses. And when you're the uh, when you're the groom, the uh, <laughs> uh, the trainer, <laughs> the everything, um, ten horses is enough. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us a little bit more about your experience as a as a trainer. Um, did you have a time in your training career that that you had a, a really a uh, a great crop of, of horses that you worked with? Well, you know my. 
first race horse that I ever had was a horse named Slip and Slide. And he spoiled me because he won very easily. <laughs> wow. Um, he, he was a nice race horse. And when you have a winning race horse, uh, it just, it just, you know, it, it, it's hard to stop. I mean, you get addicted really easy. And, yeah. uh, so anyway, he, and I raced him mostly in Nebraska. He was a Nebraska bred, but he was my, he was the horse I called him. He basically was my guinea pig because he taught me a lot of things that <laughs> I did not know about racehorses. Sure. So that he, he was my learning experience. And like I said, if all my horses were as easy to train as he was, it would be a piece of cake, <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, all the horses, they're so individual. And I've had some, I have, I have one out here right now that I have out at the ranch where we're at that he's retired now, but he was the same way. He's so easy. They've almost trained themselves. You know, you don't have to put so much training emphasis into it because they just know what they're doing. Yeah, sure. And it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> right, right. So do you, do you find that, um, uh, you know, because sometimes I'll see where, where uh, trainers will, will run a horse like in a breeze or something with another horse. Do you find it's, it's that maybe some horses respond better to, to training with other horses or do they learn better by themselves uh, or is it kind of a mixed bag? Yeah, it, it's, it just depends on that horse. You know, they all have their own personalities. And um, I think, you know, the longer you have them, of course, you learn how to respond to what they need. And some horses are just way easier to deal with than others, just like people. Yeah. I, I always tell people, you know, if, if they can't figure out what to do with the horse, I always tell them, well, would you like this done to you? Because if you wouldn't like it, they're not going to like it. So, you know, uh, horses are a lot like people. I, you know, I, I do really have to say, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. So give us an idea of, of kind of an effective training strategy that you've used over the years. Uh, um, how, do you, how do you get a horse started, and then how do you get them to the point where they're actually competing? Um, well, I, I would say, you know, nutritionally-wise, you have to make sure that they, you are feeding them well, first of all. And you just start out slow, you know, going, taking them to the track, um, I, when I first start, I usually do take them every day and it's just a couple, you know, a couple nice gallops because you actually just want them to go slow because going slow builds them up. Although the people riding them, <laughs> sometimes they complain <laughs> about it. <laughs> it, is hard, it is hard to make a horse that wants to go run to go slow, right? But, um, you know, and I'd say, you know, most horses, most horses you can have ready to race in about 40 to 60 days by doing that training. And you do, you know, you do put a, a couple works into them or breezes. Um, and that's just a, a small, a small race, maybe a three, four furlong breeze, you know, to see where they're at. Sure. So um, when you were training, did you... Are you, are you of the school of thought that um, that horses should run as two-year-olds, or do you like to wait for, for them to be three-year-olds? 
Um, I, I really feel like they need to wait till they're three. (laughs) I know that, I know that won't happen because of the money involved, but I really don't think they're mature enough at age two. I mean, you can train them, you can get them ready to race. You can, you know, but I really think if you would wait till they were three, because horses aren't full grown till they're five. And, and so I think even I've always said if they would race horses from age four to 14, I'd have, I'd prefer that better than two to 12. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I agree. I, I think I agree with you there. I, I, uh, I know that there are a lot of horses that, that run as two year olds and I get that too, with it, because it's a money thing. It, it is um, because, you know, I mean, they've already waited, basically they've already waited three years to get that horse to a two-year-old race. Yeah, and, and there's there was probably something to, to do with their physical uh, health also, right? There's They're, they're probably still uh, um, maybe not developing, but um, I think there is something to the, you know, that school of thought that says that if they're running as two-year-olds, that puts that additional stress on, on their bodies yeah. uh, so they can't run very much longer. Yes, yes, yes. And I, and then that's why I said, I go, um, I would, because, you know, if you take care of something, you will have it a lot longer, right? Yeah. And, um, but, but then with that being said, you know, a lot of the big horses retire by the time they're age three or four. So, you know, for breeding, um, I've had people um, give me a bad time sometimes about um, all the old horses that I had out on the racetrack. And, um, you know, I'm not saying they were old, old, but, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, even 10. And they would always give me a bad time that I had all the old horses. And I'm like, that's because I take care of them and they keep wanting to run. <laughs> you know, it's that simple. Yeah. yeah balance there and i and i suppose maybe it has to do uh with the ownership but you know there's this whole it's just like another entity of of breeding um after the the races and how much money you make in the breeding yeah uh aspect of it yeah but i just think that that sometimes it would be kind of it would be nice it would be it would be good for the sport maybe it also i think would would offer the the current owners to get a little more time out of the horse before that breeding starts and to really really yeah. uh give that that horse a chance to to run yes because you know a lot of people you know it's just like any other sport um you like to have someone you recognize that you can follow yeah. and if you only have Okay, I'm going to go with Justify. He was one of my favorite horses, right? I what he raced for five, six months, and he's done. Right. You know, and and um, even even when I was back in um racing in Nebraska, we had our special horses that we rooted for every year. Um, we had a, a horse called Skunk Tail because he had a tail that looked like a skunk, oh. Oh. and he was a fan favorite. He, he raced into his older age. Um, we had a horse named Leaping Plum that was a fan favorite. And everybody followed those horses. Well, you know, when you retire them at age three, <laughs> uh, 
you know, it, it, you have then you have to find another one. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me, what kind of a, like a physical attribute or con- confirmation do you look for in a, a racing horse that you might want to train? Um, you know, I they they do come in all sizes because thoroughbreds. Everybody always thought they were um, tall and thin and skinny, but um, a lot of them are um, pretty pretty well built where their powerhouse is like almost quarter horse looking and and i prefer i prefer the ones that are a little stocky um you know they have a lot of power in their back end i like them to have a nice a nice straight back um and and like i said every horse there's some horses i've seen that um like i said you would wouldn't give them a second look but they can run so, uh, or, you know, it's just sometimes, I mean, I guess you just have to really get to know the horse and know what they need because they all, you can't feed everybody the same. Some people try, but uh, you have to, you know, it's, every horse is so different. So uh, when you're, have you ever attended a, like a, a sale? How do they, how, how do these buyers get to know or is it just that much of a gamble, or do they they kind of have a sense of what this horse can possibly do in the future? Well, I guess you know, I guess you know they do look at the breeding a lot, and they probably do talk to some agents because they have all sorts of sale agents out there, you know, trying to come up with who, what kind of horse you need, and and I do, I actually like the. Um, I like the horses that can go a distance because I think we're breeding them to go too short. <laughs> I don't think thoroughbreds should only be able to run five and a half furlongs. Uh, and we're getting into a lot of that. And so uh, I'm, I'm not quite certain why they, I, I don't know if it's because of the smaller tracks where, you know, the tracks like in Nebraska, they're called bull rings because they're not a full mile track. Oh, Okay. Sure. They're only a five-eighths mile. Oh, okay. I didn't so that know makes, that. Well, that makes you that makes your horse have to go around more turns. And so anytime you have to go around more turns, that's probably, you know, it, it's, it's more stress on their legs. What do you think about the racing surfaces? You racing. know, with this whole thing... Of, this whole thing about uh, Santa Anita, you know, with their their track and trying to decide whether it's the the, the surface or you know uh, dirt versus synthetic, you know, what what do you what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I I really have to think that it's to do with the track and the heavy rains that they've had, and everything. It seems like everything has certain cycles sometimes where all of a sudden one year you have a really stupendous year and then another year you you have a really bad year and that's why they call horse racing a roller coaster because you know you have really good days and really bad days and um but Santa Anita I think they made the public so aware about things that the public doesn't really know exactly the whole story well, I appreciate your insight on all this, uh, the racing. Um, 
Let's let's turn our attention now to this whole agribusiness, uh, yeah. which is is kind of a new uh, a new topic that I've that's been on my radar. Um, uh, seeing some of the the social posts that you have posted about your attending this workshop, tell tell us you know tell us a little bit about this workshop that you attended, and uh, you you would actually toured a, a couple places too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's tell us tell us about that. You know, I really didn't know about this agritourism until I did go to the workshop. And at at first, you know, um, tourism is, I think, the second leading um, in South Dakota over farming. I think it is the second leading trade. Yeah, I believe that. So, you know, and with the the farming and ranching, um, there are a lot of people that are – um, people are interested in what we do out here, and they don't know how we do it. And when, and I'm going to just say, even when, even when we have um, people, I'm going to say relatives come out here from Illinois, they are interested in how things are done out here because it's not done like that in Illinois. And you know, the only way you can actually is to. I'm going to say to see it, to see it done. You can tell somebody about things, but to actually see things and see it done, it's pretty cool. And one of the places that we went to tour at, it was a place called Prairie Paradise Farms. And um, it's just outside of Fort Pierre. And they are very into having diversity as in planting different crops and everything to keep rotating the crops for the soil. And what started out as a, um, I think their youngest son had um, allergies to milk. And what started out as just having goats so he could have some milk turned into where they do now have 80, 80 goats that have, um, that are having babies right now. They have two, usually have two each. So now they have a big goat farm. <laughs> and oh, wow. about a year ago, I guess they had, uh, they had some kids come out to take a tour, you know, to see what they were doing. And they thought maybe they would only get 30, you know, 30 or 40 people out just to go out look around the farm and look at the goats and everything. And there was at least a hundred people that came out. Oh my goodness. And so they, now they are starting a, um, a farm day. It's called a farm day as an annual thing. And it's going to be the first Saturday in May, bad day for me, (laughs) (laughs) but, but they're going to start and they're going to, um, it's going to be a tour of paradise farm, prairie paradise farms. And they're going to do that every year. But they said that people make plans to tour their place, and they've had people from other countries come tour to see what they do and how they do it. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I never thought of it, but, you know, like the cattle ranch that I'm at right now, my parents own, they, we have a lot of cattle and um, we do things, we just take it for granted every day what we do. And really, people have no clue what goes on out here. 
you know, it, it's just like when you go when you go take a tour of a we'll say of a of a beer factory. You know, Coors always does tours and things like that. You know, so we don't know how they do things or what they do, and you learn things when you go there. So by getting this agritourism going, it also it doesn't just boost, you know, um, it doesn't just boost what we do out here, but it does bring in a little money to to a little extra money, and um, I I think it's going to be a good thing. It's not, you know, it's not really everybody. It's kind of a learning experience right now. I think right now a lot of the hunting lodges have it under control because uh, we did tour a hunting lodge and they said um, they probably can't take any new people because people just keep coming back, the same people. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, so it's hard to, you know, get into that place because they're so, people just want to go. But, but uh, you know, we had a lot of good speakers and um, it were, it were, they were people that actually are doing this. I think there was a lady over by Brookings that um, they turned a barn over by Brookings into a place to have weddings and other events, and they're they're book solid. Yeah, so, the, those wedding wedding barns are yeah. quite popular <laughs> over yeah, here yeah. anyway. There yeah, are quite a few of know. them that are popping up. But but so it's just you know just adding a little bit since we we you know everybody whenever they think of tourism in South Dakota they always think of the Badlands and Black Hills. Uh, we have a lot more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So was was this workshop put on by the, the South Dakota Tourism? Um, it was put on. It was put on by the SDSU Extension Agent. Oh. Okay. Okay. And and um so. And they, Plowman Put More, that was the first one that they had. And they had so many, I think they only could take 45 people. And they had so many on backlist that they will be doing it again. And I think, I think even people in South Dakota, because I was impressed with what we went and seen and the tour, you know, that they did and the speakers. So I'm thinking more people, even in South Dakota, would enjoy doing it. And I think, you know, a lot of kids, when I was growing up, a lot of kids were farm and ranch kids. So it's no big deal. It's not that big a deal to them. But I think more and more, we have more city kids that have maybe never even headed a cast before. Or, you know, see how you feed one. Or rode a horse. Or, you know, there's a lot of that. Well, that that kind of gets me thinking, you know, um on behalf of South Dakota Horse, how could, did you pick up anything that, that you could uh, use to maybe use horses in agritourism? Um, yeah, uh, yes, sir. Actually, one of the places that we toured was a, let's see, it was a horseback place. Well, it was right by Pier and the horse place and um, the lady that is trying to get it started, she does use her horses for a lot of um, therapy and uh, physical therapy and mental too. Because she said at first she thought maybe she wanted to have a horseback riding something. But then she got to thinking about it and she said, you know, 
instead of entertainment, I want to have something where they can learn from it. I don't want it just to be entertainment, which, which you know, you can probably combine the two. But I know she has had a few um, uh, physically disabled um, children come in and ride horses. And it, um, I don't know what it is about horses, but they just um, are so big that they, they demand your attention. Yeah. You know? Right. And um, every, I've, I don't know how many people that I've heard say this is, is that horses just are so intuitive that they can read exactly what you're feeling. Yeah, yes. And that, that place is called Antelope Creek Horses. Well, that's very interesting. You know, and I think that, you know, the more we can use um, horses in things like that, even providing more more opportunities for you know, I don't know I, the 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 name of the movie escapes me now but that old Billy Crystal movie where they w- paid to go out on a ranch yeah I think um, I know which one you're talking about but do we have any experiences like that in South Dakota where where you can pay to go out and right, and right, you know right. drive cattle across some right. some land you know right you know I mean um, back back in my day I remember like I said we we always had a lot of relatives that came out and visited when I was growing up and um, we would actually put um, planks in the back of a pickup and take them out and give them tours of the pastures and the cattle and everything. And it was just really a cool thing. Yeah. But I didn't ever think of it as turning into a business, which it can. And so would people pay money to just tour Um, a farm? Is that how there's... Yeah, it would be, you know, maybe they would set up, maybe um, they were talking about maybe setting up two or three different places at once, like what we did for a day's worth, or, you know, just depending. And I would think that they would work it. I've been to quite a few of the Kentucky horse farm tours. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, imagine that. Um, Anyway, uh, and I would think, you know, you could work it out to do, do it that way. Some, you know, the way that they do their tours. Yeah, so then each each participating uh, farm or ranch would get a little bit of that money. Um, I yeah, I think I think we're onto something here, and I think uh, it's just you know, going to grow once it kind of catches on. Well, you know, and we we were talking about actually we were talking about it in the bus where it's it's like even where I'm located, we were trying to come up with okay, this place this place is a cattle ranch, this place is a sheep ranch this place is this and just hire a bus and do a tour of these three or four places. Um, give them something to eat, you know, in maybe one of the hometown eating establishments or, you know, so like I said, I go, I think people would be really be surprised about how much, how much unique stuff we have out here. Oh, definitely. But because it really, it really, it really, you know, I never really thought of it before that way. But like I said, I've grown up on a, you know, cattle ranch my whole life. So it's kind of, I'm, I'm used to doing all this stuff, <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary, but now I will say even to watch someone, even to watch someone grind hay to feed cattle. Um, I don't know how many people have seen that done before. 
but it's it's pretty impressive about how it's done. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about where where it could go. Yeah, well, I am too. It, it does really sound exciting, and uh, I'm kind of a, a dreamer and a planner. And not a, I, I'm a dreamer, and and I just always like to think of new things to do, and yeah. and so this really intrigues me. Well, that is what that is what most of these people said to begin with. You know, they it just started as a dream, or you know, they're in the process right now. It's not a complete thing of what they want it to end up being, but it's a start. Yeah, definitely. Okay. You have to start somewhere. Exactly. So the county extension office, right? Is that? Um. Um. You know, you could you could probably go your county extension agent, or I would definitely I would definitely you know. Um, SPSU is big into this, and I would really think that. You know, maybe it would be best to just get a hold of someone from the extension agents at SDSU. They have an office over in Pier, um, uh, Brookings, of course, and Rapid City. There you, you go. Know, and and if and if anybody'd be interested in getting something going where they could give tours of their farm or ranch, um, SDSU is really working hard to try to get this thing on on ground and get going. And I think I think it probably works better in our um, in our months where we don't have two three feet of snow. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, because then they were saying they were saying you know it probably would be really nice to get a bunch of this stuff done during um, when calving season and all the babies are being born and everything. But the only problem with it, everybody's so busy with doing the actual work. <laughs> right. So. Well, I would think if if it could become lucrative enough that um, you would, I would think you'd just have to have either a, a guide, a tour guide that is familiar with all the different locations, or someone at each uh, ranch or farm that yeah. um, there was is a, just available for that. There was a, um, a a lady that talked to us that had a dairy farm, and they do regular tours. They're just across the border from Sioux Falls. I can't remember, um, in Iowa actually, but they're, they're considered South Dakota for some reason too, because they're so close on the line. And she said they give tours all the time. She's the main tour giver. Um, they, um, all their whole dairy farm is robotics. Oh, wow. It's, it's all, you know, and so I would probably, I wouldn't even mind going and seeing how that is all done because it sounds you know, you just can't imagine how it, how all this technology can do this, and you don't have to have all these people out there every twice a day, every day. The cows just come in on their own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Very true. Right. They do, don't they? <laughs> well, so she has time to give tours, and that that was the other thing they they did stress in the um uh in the workshop is you know they said you know if you if you really aren't a people person, <laughs> um, you, you know, you need to have someone that is a people person and can tell your family what your family goals or your history and all that stuff, according to your farmer ranch is, if you are not that person. Yeah, well, very good. Anything else you want to add about, uh, about agritourism or, or even horse racing? Well, 
I go, I, I was sad to find out that our horse racing had um, uh, not happened last year. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, am, I am hopeful uh, that we are going to at least have a weekend of it in October. So yes. I, I guess, you know, that is a start because I think, you know, what, what was sad to me about the South Dakota racing is, is um, I think it was a lot of, it was a training track. A lot of people used it as a training track and to go off onto bigger and better tracks in the summer and fall. Well, so by, you know, dissolving the racing, where do all these people go and all the horses? There is nowhere. So South Dakota, it kind of puts South anybody that had something to do with South South Dakota horse racing, it kind of, you know, really did put them in a bind where <sighs> we live here, we love love it here, but now we have to go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, I think with with uh, the efforts of uh, a small group of people that are affiliated with horse racing in South Dakota, uh, I think they're trying to trying to make th- some changes. And so yeah. let's let's hope that all that works out so that we yeah. can kind of build up our reputation again as that that training uh, training track type of mentalities, you know. And I think that's that's very important. To, to develop the base of these horse races. Yes, um, yes. And, and I had, you know, I think, I think you have talked to uh, Shane Cranny too. Um, yep. And he, he said, you know, it was, he goes, you wouldn't believe how many horses that went through my gates to learn how to be in the gates and stand in the gates and break out of the gates. You know, where do they do that now? Yeah. I wonder if they're relying on on uh, other, I suppose, other states, huh? Um, well, you know, Montana I, well, or Wyoming? Or, you know, yeah, you know, and um, I'm, I'm not sure where everybody in South Dakota goes. I know some do go to Montana, North Dakota a little bit, but um, the racing, the racing used to be where you could just go from track to track to track. I would start, you know, you would, I would start, you can start in January and go to September and just keep going. But now it's so sporadic. It, you know, you have a, a couple weeks here and then a month over here. And so um, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard to, you almost definitely have to have a real job to be able to support your horse racing. <laughs> and that's Very true. not good. <laughs> that's not good. No, it isn't. <laughs> you know, it's become it's becoming around here. It was coming becoming more of a hobby instead of an actual. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully we can change that. Yes, hopefully we can. We have a start <laughs> in October. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for for coming on and talking today. It's been it's been uh, interesting to get to know some of your your past experiences and then uh, to learn a little bit more about uh, the agritourism and and yeah. Uh, yeah. hopefully we can do some more uh, stories about these these topics and yes, well, I and hope learn I, more like about I said, it. this summer I hope to see uh, you know a little bit more doing with the agritourism and everything this summer. So definitely good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, we're at the end of our time together today. 
thanks so much for listening. And thanks to our special guest, Cheryl Schutte, for uh, sharing her stories and experiences with horse racing and agritourism. To learn more about agritourism, please contact the SDSU Extension Office. And be sure to follow our podcast on your platform of choice so we can continue to grow. Remember to visit SouthDakotaHorse.com for all things equine in the great state of South Dakota. Until next time, keep riding. Keep riding.